my, my starting my clock here. So we'll definitely not go over, I promise. And as uh, mentioned, I am from uh, North Carolina, but I'm in Chicago right now. I'm in a I'm in a hotel room. So I'm actually at the uh, National Corrections Conference for AA and um, super, super excited to be here. And as much as um, corrections has, uh, it, it's really a way of life for me, my, the service work that, that I do take meetings into jails and prisons to, to men and women. And it's the thing I'm most passionate, passionate about, the, um, the opportunity to, to share with you guys and maybe someone will hear just, you know, one thing that I have to share that, you know, that might help someone. Um, you know, I've been, I'm someone that's been blessed over and over and over again in this, in this program. And, um, and I love the guy that's on the iPhone here, brushing his teeth. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, he moved the camera. I didn't mean to embarrass you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but, uh, anyway, um, so my job is to to tell you in a general way what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like today. And I hope that I'm able to do that. And, um, you know, I always start with just a, a little brief, um, you know, just to qualify and just talk a briefly about, um, you know, growing up. And I was, you know, someone I was raised in a home where there wasn't a lot of um, emotion shared in my family, there was no hugs or kisses or I love you. It was not a, a warm um, home. There wasn't any talking of feelings. I didn't know how to process things. There, there wasn't any um, apologies or how to, how do you say I'm sorry or ask for forgiveness or I just didn't know how to process anything. And, you know, I, I often will, will share that my parents who have been married now for like almost 60 years, I've never ever in my entire lifetime seen them hug and kiss ever. And I'm just blown away by that one that they can still be married <laughs> after all these years. And I've never, ever seen them, them hug and kiss, not even a little kiss, nothing. And that's just the, a real, the, the cold um, kind of environment that I was, that I was raised in. And I can remember, and the reason why this is like a double whammy for me personally is because I was adopted and I was adopted into this house. And I often wondered, like, why, why did they adopt me? They don't even like me, you know? They don't even like kids. Why, you know, I just, I just couldn't understand why, um, you know, that happened. And, uh, and I do have an older brother that was also adopted from um, a different family. And, um, you know, it's interesting that his reaction to life and his experiences have, have been, you know, very different from mine. Um, in a lot of ways, but, um, and also similar in a lot of ways, but anyway, so, I'm, uh, so I was adopted and put in a, an adoption agency or orphanage and such, and then into this household. So, um, you know, my pathology, um, you know, I was, um, gosh, how do I, how do I say it? I was, um, you know, molded my personality, the character that I brought to Alcoholics Anonymous 
was molded at a very early age. And I can remember seven, eight years old, started stealing. And I was actually one of the first things that I started stealing was food. And my mother, um, to this to this day, um, well, my mother used to withhold food from me. Um, and anyway, so I started stealing food. And, um, and then when I was maybe 11 years old, I started stealing out of um, the uh, stores. And then when I was 12 years old, I stole my, my first car. And this is before I even picked up beverage alcohol, right? So this is before all of that. And also when I was like 10 years old, I can remember um, fantasizing about, uh, about burning my house down. And, you know, today I'm like red flag, red flag, red flag. This is a big red flag. You know, what is going on here? And, uh, but of course this is all, I didn't tell a soul. I never told anyone any of this stuff ever. And um, I didn't want to hurt anybody. You know, I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> so, but um, I, I, I think that I don't really know for sure, but I guess I just wanted attention. I wanted to be noticed. I wanted to be heard, you know, and you know, like I said, this is at these early, early ages. So, you know, I, I was a very injured character just when I found beverage alcohol. So I promise you that when I drank the first time that I absolutely I felt the effects produced by alcohol and knew with my whole heart that I was going to do this again, <laughs> for sure. I mean, there was... I had experienced a, a sense of freedom that I had just never, ever had before. It was just unbelievable. It was a spiritual experience, <laughs> no question about it. And I, um, and I was 12 years old. I was 12 years old and just uh, very, very young. And I, I like to say I was a social drinker for like six seconds and that was it. It was over with. And uh, I got in trouble the very first time I drank, the very first time. And I, um, every single time I drank, I drank for complete oblivion. And I'm confident that a lot of that had to do with my age. I was very young and it's very difficult to just to differentiate, um, you know, adolescent behavior from just pure insanity, right? Because kids, we just, we look crazy, you know, we do crazy stuff as kids sometimes. So you just don't know. A lot of people, you know, they grow up and they grow out of it, right? And <clears throat> but that was not my, my experience, but I, um, I drank for, um, for the effects produced by alcohol every time I drank. It never even crossed my mind to have one. I don't know why anybody would have one, and I never thought about that. I just, it was to, it was to change the way I feel. It was a, it was a miracle. It was a miracle substance, you know, miracle drug, beverage, alcohol. And, you know, well, since I did mention that, I will say, um, I've, I've been taught and, and taught, you know, why it's so important, our primary purpose and, and why to protect that and guard that with, with everything I have. Uh, so I'm a strong believer in our traditions 
and our concepts of world service as well. But um, but I will say that my experience does include, you know, any and every kind of drug under the sun that you can think of, except for maybe one or two I never got my hands on. But I won't, um, you know, I won't talk about that um, from, from, a, from a podium or but um, but it is uh, certainly part part of my experience. Um, but I um, by the time I'm 14 years old, I could have used this program. I was uh, you know in trouble already. I'm already compromising um, all kinds of things. Um, everything revolved around around drinking. I started to get in a little bit of trouble and um, started to like when I got my driver's license, I think I, I lost them nearly immediately, <laughs> you know, just as soon as I got them, I lost them and starting to get um, public intoxication, uh, open container. And I'm not, at this time, I'm not even old enough to drink in the U.S., you know, I'm not even old enough. And, uh, and I'm getting in all these troubles, uh, trespassing. Um, I ended up getting kicked out of school which was a really, really big deal. Um, my entire family is uh, has, for the most part, advanced degrees. Certainly everyone had been to college. And here I didn't even get to finish high school, you know, because I, 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 I didn't even stop to think one minute, you know, um, about my, my behavior and how, you know, could that have affected you know, my career, <laughs> my future, you know, none of that. I'm not thinking. So when I heard we live one day at a time, when I'm like, my Lord, I've been doing that forever. Okay. Yeah, I know how to do that. But, um, you know, I just, uh, I was, I was that, uh, that tornado and I ended up, um, you know, you know, I did, I didn't really benefit anybody and that was in my life. And I was so consumed with self, just so consumed and wrapped up in the disease of alcoholism and just could not see it, could not see anything. Um, I would steal my dad's car or not even think, you know, like I have his car keys, his work keys. He can get in the office building. He can't tell his company that is crazy teenage daughters stole his car and his keys and you know I just don't think about anything I don't think about anyone close to me just um just to get get whatever it whatever I want so um I uh I start seeing psychiatrists and psychologists and um you know I think the very first the very first person I ever saw I was 10 years old and um guess what for stealing and um, my parents could not understand what I was, why, you know, am I stealing? What am I doing? And um, I can remember the day I walked into and I finally it seemed like I noticed it for the first time on the door and the, the, it said psychotherapist. And I was so offended, you know, that I was really offended that they thought I needed a psychotherapist, that I was really that that uh, that crazy, but I will I will share that that there there were um, there were many days that I was able to to have what we call uh, sometimes just a, mom, a moment of clarity, right? And I could see, oh my gosh, the, what kind of path am I on? You know, what am I doing? And um, oh, not to mention, I was homeless at seventeen, 
homeless because my family finally said, you can't live here anymore like that. If, if you want to, if you want to live sober, we're here. We're here to help you. We, we want you to get help. We want, and I could not for the life of me see that I had a problem. I felt like I had the worst parents in the world that my life sucked and just could not, it, it was every blame everybody else, you know? And um, so I had to leave and, and I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't know I had, um, I was so delusional, you know, and, and I, um, I even thought that most of these kids were jealous of me because I no longer had a curfew. <laughs> I was homeless, <laughs> but I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have to go home. Um, but it, I was still in school at this time. It wasn't till I, my senior year, 18, um, that I ended up getting kicked out of school and um, my car was impounded for all the lots and lots of illegal things. And, um, you know, I just, just everything just started going downhill, but about, I did go, I did call my parents and I convinced them to, to let me come home. And um, I told them that I had been, I had been clean and sober for three months, which was such a lie. I don't even know why I said that, but um, or where I came up with that. And I said, and you can give me tests anytime you want to. And, and I'll, and I'll prove to you that, that I'm, I'm living a sober lifestyle. And I, um, I think I lasted like 45 days and I mean, I can't, um, and that's with cheating, you know, and the, for them to find out, you know, and they gave me the same option again to either to leave or, or go to treatment. And, um, and I left again and, you know, for that next, I, I don't, you know, it was less, less than a year, um, a period of time. I, um, my whole, my whole life was just around um, trying to not be conscious. And I mean, I didn't have a, a job. I've sold illegal things. I did illegal things. Um, I had, I had moments where, um, you know, I just, I spent so much of my life just wishing I wasn't, I wasn't born, you know, and I knew I wasn't really going to kill myself but I just wished I wasn't born. I mean, I was really upset that I had to, to deal with this and um, this life. And, and what, what am I gonna do now? I'm screwed because I'm, I'm here, <laughs> I'm alive, you know? And um, so I end up, I'm gonna fast, fast forward here uh, to, I, I got to the point where I could, I could tell that, um, see what my time is. Okay, so I got to the point where I could see that my life was unmanageable, that that would, that became, you know, much more clear to me. I still, the, the, the thought of being powerless over beverage alcohol, I just really struggled with. I just, I wanted it to, to be a lot of other things, you know, like maybe, maybe I'm just crazy. <laughs> maybe that's it, you know? And I just, I just, I wanted to be anything, anything but alcoholic. And so I end up, um, I'm going to just fast forward. I end up in a, uh, in an institution in Louisiana, and I was there for almost a year. And when I uh, when I got out of there, the the best thing I could have ever done, which I did, was I went to a meeting. 
and I was almost a year sober and it was really good for me to be there. I was able to clear my, my mind and I was told what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And, and, and that's exactly what I needed. And I can just, uh, I'll never forget this, this one lady. She's like, she's like, look around, look, look where you're at. You know, people don't just end up here, you know, and it was like, man, light bulb, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a problem. I have a problem. And uh, so I went to a meeting and it was so packed. There were so many people. I remember like it was yesterday. I had to, to sit on the floor. There was, there wasn't even a chair. There were so many people. And, and, uh, and I just cried and cried and I, I didn't know what I was going to do or where I was going to go. And, um, I, um, this lady, Donna B, she, uh, she took me in off the street and, um, put me on the sofa and she had a daughter, Nicole. And, um, within less than a week that her daughter had like a little trundle bed under her bed, a little pop-up bed. So, um, and within less than a week, I'm big sister. And then I moved into the daughter's room and I'm part of the family and, it was just unbelievable because um, I, you know, it, it seemed like all I ever really wanted was a, a family, you know, to feel, I, I always was so envious and jealous of, of especially large, uh, I don't know why, but it appears like, like large Catholic uh, family, there's just a million of them, right? And, and I spent my whole life feeling, you know, really feeling sorry for myself that I didn't know a single person on the planet of my own blood, you know, nobody. And I just really, really felt sorry for myself. And um, so anyway, I um, was there. And then the very first Wednesday, she said, um, she said, get in the car, you know, we're, we're going to a meeting and I got in the car and she took me to the jail. And I'm like, I'm like, are you setting me up or what's going on you know I'm not sure what's going on here and um because if you're anything like me and if you've ever been to a meeting like that in a jail or a prison or maybe treatment you know my my mind starts to think oh my gosh they're gonna keep me <laughs> or I wonder if there's something out there that I didn't take care of or you know just insanity so anyway but I went and um those women man they are just they're just like me just like me and I just knew for sure that just as much as I did that first um that first beverage alcohol that I drank that first prison meeting that I ever went to or that it was a jail in that case um that I was I just loved it I loved it I loved it I felt so comfortable I felt at home and I I didn't I felt I felt equal and there's very few places that I have ever felt equal. I'm I'm usually much much less than you, and occasionally I'll make myself think I'm better than you, but I'm never just equal. And I felt equal at this at this jail, and um, you know, it's uh, you can I, I've learned that you know I've just felt so bad about myself over the years, and I had so much or, or growing up I had so much self hate for myself that. You put me in a room full of murderers and, and I feel right at home. I'm very comfortable there, you know? So anyway, I, um, um, I continued to do that service work for a long time. And I, uh, I, I you know, I began to have a, a fairy tale 
recovering. Um, unbelievable things, things that just don't happen. And, you know, like, for instance, one of the first things I did was I got my, my GED, which some, I don't know if um, it's a, a high school equivalency. I don't know if that makes sense in, in the UK. <laughs> Excuse me, but it's like a high, it's like you went to high school, but you really didn't, <laughs> you took a test and graduated. And, um, and then I, uh, I went to a, a college in North, in North Carolina. And uh, well, I ended up moving back after like four years sober, I moved back to North Carolina from Louisiana. It took, it took me, if there's anybody new here, I mean, it took me over, over four years, almost five to convince my family. I was, I was still, I was really sober. I mean, it took them took me that long for them to really believe that I was living this new life. So it can be it can be hard because when we start when we get sober and we want everything now 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 like can't you see I'm doing good I'm doing I'm doing the deal but um, it, it took me over four years and uh, so I moved back home and I I went to that one college I graduated there and then I went to another college and, and graduated there and and uh, started just falling uphill with my, my jobs and careers and, and um, nearly every job I ever had, I wasn't even qualified for. And I just took the, the attitude of gratitude that I learned in AA and, and just said, hey, I don't know how to do that, but I am so teachable. I am teachable. And if you'll give me a shot, I'll give you a thousand percent, you know, and that's how I've gotten every job <laughs> that I've ever had. And um you know, you know that. Um, well, let me back up for just a second. So when I was in Louisiana, I stayed in that lady Donna's house for maybe three or four months, and then I was able to get my own house and a job and a car. And I'm somebody that, you know, how we can go downhill so so fast, right? But but we can go uphill really really fast too. And so um, so I ended up renting a, a bedroom out because in, in AA, we there's always people who need a bedroom, you know, to rent. So I started renting out a bedroom and there's a, this guy, Bubba, and Bubba just got out of the penitentiary and Bubba needed a place to live. So I'm like, perfect. And so he, um, he worked offshore in the oil business. So he was gone. Um, and uh, I got got his money for his rent, and it was perfect. I could live by myself like I wanted. And um, to fast forward this, like I met Bubba's brother Troy, and a year and a half later, I have have my daughter Amber. So that's the fast story <laughs> of how my daughter got here. And um, so a year later, uh, her dad and I didn't work out, so that's why I moved back to North Carolina. But now Bubba becomes Uncle Bubba, right? So. Um, but this whole time I'm still doing service work and corrections. And so I moved back to North Carolina. That's where I, I went to school and started, started my life with, um, and, um, with, with working and such. And, and it wasn't maybe six months later, um, that Troy and uncle Bubba, they, they came and, and followed us, um, about 30 minutes away, excuse <laughs> me. But they lived and, you know, Bubba was somebody that, you know, our literature talks about how we cannot or will not, right? My sponsor asks me that all the time. She says, are you a cannot or a will not? And um, I'm usually a will not, right? 
I don't know what Bubba was, but he just um, could, he could not seem to find our, our way of life. And he just relapsed over and over and over and just going to jail and prison over and over. And then when he came to North Carolina, um, I used to pick him up and take him to meetings and, you know, try to help him. And, um, and he ended up, um, he ended up being executed one night, shot, shot in the back of the head. Um, and um, my daughter, Amber, oh my gosh, she was devastated, just devastated. And she was only six and she could not understand why she couldn't tell her uncle Bubba goodbye. She didn't remember, she's six years old. So she just didn't really understand. Well, I raised her in AA. So um, we went to a meeting and this, my Friday, my big Friday night meeting had AA downstairs and Al-Anon upstairs and Alateen upstairs. And she said that um, she wanted to know if she could go to Alateen because she knew all the kids went there and she was six years old, you know? And I, so I asked, I said, can she come? And they said, well, if she can be quiet, she can come. So she just sat there. Um, so she was there a year probably at that time. And, um, and I used to ask her, I'd say, what do y'all talk about in there? And she, she'd say, Mama, I, you know, I can't tell you what we talk about. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she's listening. Like, she's really, she's really listening. And, um, and then one time I asked her, I said, do you see the same people? I mean, can, uh, do you want to share anything about the meeting? <laughs> and because uh, I was like, do they talk crap about their parents or <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> Excuse me, I seem to have this call. And um, she said, well, I guess I'll tell you, she said, we, we talk about our happies and our crappies. And um, I said, oh, that's pretty cool. So she has uh, learned to be able to share, you know, her, her feelings in, uh, in AA. Oh, I'll just unmute you, Stacey. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so, um, so that week, she was able to go and shared for the first time, and she was able to share um, a crappy her her favorite uncle in the whole world <clears throat> had been murdered, and um, I was so grateful for. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. Can I just get a water really quick? I really apologize. Okay, I hope that helps. I'm sorry, guys. But, um, you know, I was so grateful for AA and Al-Anon and Alateen to be a part of my family. And um, I would have carried something like that forever. And, you know, I was trying to break that cycle of, um, of learning how to process things because mine always came out in anger. That's the only one that I knew was anger. And I was um, very abusive um, under the influence and uh, physically, I was just a, a lunatic. <clears throat> so we ended up, you know, trying to process that and, and move on. And um, I ended up um, conti continuing. <clears throat> oh. 
continuing with um, a lot of service. And I just what I heard, service, 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 and helping people, help, help as many people as I can and go to lots of meetings. And I was really scared to um, not get everything that the program had to offer. And I, I, um, I showed up a lot and I'm gonna fast forward this too. I got to, excuse me. Um, I ended up probably about 17 years of sobriety was the best I can see. And I started to slowly, slowly um, step back from meetings. I've not had this happen to me before. <laughs> Wonder if I'm not supposed to talk. Um, slowly um, step away from meetings and I got filled up with a lot of fear and a lot of resentment. And I was completely self-will run riot. And um, after 20 years of sobriety, it took me a good three years, but about 20 years of sobriety, my mind told me it was okay to pick up. And I, I blew my life up. Um, like like y'all wouldn't believe. And um, and I couldn't I couldn't get sober. And the difference between this time and the first and the, the first time is that I, I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down. And the last time I was physically stopped, right? My life was unmanageable. I was very much a real alcoholic at that first time, but this time was different. And it took me to places that I heard about in the meetings. And I compromised every moral and value I ever had for a drink. And I couldn't keep a job. I had three college degrees by that point. Couldn't keep a job. I'm crazy. I couldn't put it down. And the next two years, it. I remember four days that went by that I drew a sober breath. Four days. And that was it. And um, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Immediately, I go back to this time I really become suicidal. You know, I'm homicidal, I'm suicidal, I'm, I'm just a wreck. Um, I'm selling my body. I once had 20 years of recovery and now I'm selling my body. Um, I caught three felonies. I've ruined um, any relationship <laughs> that I had. I blew it up and, and I couldn't quit. I just couldn't get back. I couldn't get back. And, and the fact that I had lost 20 years of sobriety, that itself um, made me want to kill myself. You know, the ego, the ego is so powerful and so strong. And I couldn't believe that I did that. And I did it like that, y'all, like so, so, so fast. It was a snap decision just to immediately, just to pick up so fast. And, um, and there's a part in our literature that talks about that. And it talks about these peculiar blind spots, you know, and I don't remember any conscious thought, but I was as far away from a power that I could be 
and you got to imagine how how untreated is what is the terminology that I use untreated alcoholism how untreated I was how crazy I had to be at 20 years to pick up to for that to make sense to feel like an option that that's that was the right decision and um and so for the next couple you know couple of years um I lived that life that I did that, that, that last year for the when I got sober the first time where it was just to to, obliv- to oblivion just not even be conscious and um it was it was really really terrible and I ended up um I remember I remember my friend Wallace B from North Carolina and he had talked about how he was going to he was in central prison and he had a life sentence plus 40 years. And when the gates opened the next morning, um, he was four stories. When the gates opened the next morning, he was just going to plunge down four stories and just end it and be done with it. And he talks about how he used to just pray. And he, that morning, he just screamed out to God and said, God, if, if you'll get me back to AA, if you please just get me back to AA. And this is what I remember. I remember his story. And I just said, God, if there is a God, please reveal yourself to me and please get me back to AA. And that's how I made it back. And I've just, I've been given this great, this grace once again. And, um, of complete total abstinence and there's nothing that is more important to me than my recovery there's nothing it just it can't be there can't be and now so i'll tell you how things are different for me this time is that it's it's harder because what i'm dealing with is my is is my insanity is my mind right is my mind so I have to figure out a way not to want to kill myself in this world, right? Because of all of the, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to beat myself up um, because I did a lot of good work that first 20 years, okay? I did a lot of really, really good work, especially with my service. Um, but what I miss is I, what I really, really missed is this relationship with a power, now I know that I felt the closest to God when I'm helping people. I was able to clearly easily figure that out. But what happens when the corrections work went away? I didn't have anything to keep me sober. You know, if I'm not like I had, you know, so, so now I'm I'm in a different uh, the progression. The progression is it was significant in just a couple of years. And our literature says that too. It says that women can be far beyond recall within just a couple of years. And that was exactly my experience. So, so I, but I start out doing the same thing at first. Um, well, you know, I talk about the progression, I'll say this. So when, when I got sober the first time, I can remember almost every woman I ever sponsored in my lifetime would come to me 
with with long distance problems. Yeah, anybody remember calling long distance? We used to get drunk and get on the phone and call everybody we know long distance. So that's not a thing anymore, right? You can call from here, you know, the U.S. anywhere. It doesn't cost anything. But back then, I'd call and I'm like, get a seven hundred dollar phone bill, and I'm like, I don't even know anybody in Kentucky. How does this happen? And anyway so um so this time we didn't have long distance to to deal with but uh talk about progression what i did was um are y'all gonna believe that um i decided to send naked pictures to everybody in aa how about that i was devastated i could not believe that i did that and I'm like, the next morning, I'm like, no, 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 I did not. No, I did not. Yes, I did. Um, so I was, when I wanted to get sober, I'm like, well, I can't go to AA. You know, where am I going to go? You know, because I, I couldn't believe I did that. I mean, it's people I hadn't even seen or talked to in 10 years, <laughs> sending them pictures, men, women, it didn't matter. Send everybody. And um, like a whole group. <laughs> and um, so I just couldn't believe I did that. So I got this job opportunity in Louisiana. I'm like, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> I'll take it. You better believe it. Because at first I went to NA because I was I was too embarrassed what I did. You know, I didn't want to see anybody. So but I'm like, this is not my home. My home is AA. So I moved to Louisiana. I was there for, for many years um, and then just moved back last year to back to North Carolina. So um, but I do want to talk um about go check my time here um when i okay i'm good because <clears throat> so i want to talk about what happened to me when i was about four or five years four years sober and um i'm doing the same thing i'm in general service for aa i'm going to prisons i'm sponsoring a million people i'm doing all this stuff yet i i found myself in the emergency room of alcoholics anonymous again and I'm, 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 I'm butting heads with people and I'm, I'm still in conflict, even though my motives are good. Isn't that what it says, 60 to 63, right? Even though my motives are good, I'm still like, my motives are almost always good, right? I really want the best things, but I can't, you know, I can't help but to continue to try to manage and control, manage and control. And, and why is this? Because I have no relationship with God. I had no relationship with the power and I could not understand how I was the power for my life. I continued to be the power for my life. And I'm, and I'm, I can remember, I can quote you stuff from the book. I could tell you what page it's on and everything. And I can go to 12 million meetings, but I didn't understand. I didn't understand, truly understand the disease of alcoholism and how it manifested itself in my life. I didn't understand what I was really up against really up against what did it mean so i found myself once again in the 911 you know emergency room and um and i hit bottom i hit another emotional bottom because it's like i've got you know what is it on page it might it might be i just said i know pages it may may or may not be where the where the bedevilments are right is that on 52 maybe page 52 possibly <clears throat> if you look there and it, it's all these questions right you can ask yourself and i'm like I can ask myself these questions, you know, I've got all these bedevilments. I've got all this stuff going on and, um, and I'm sober and I'm going all these, and I was an area chair. I, I mean, I was in the middle of everything and I'm 
crazy. And I'm, I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. That's what I was. I was restless. And I'm like, how is this possible? How is it, you know, and, and I just didn't understand that I continued, I continued to be the manager of my life. And I finally was able to see it. And I was finally, cause see, I was somebody that was agnostic and I was agnostic forever. And it, and I didn't really want to tell anybody that either. I was embarrassed. I was, in, I was somehow or another, I had great deep shame that I, that I could not find God. And it's not that I did, you know, agnostic is different than atheist, right? So it's not that I didn't believe. I desperately wanted to believe. I just, and our literature talks about that too. If I only had faith as he has, right? And I, I, I felt my whole life was like that. If I could only believe as, as she believed. If I only had this, if I only had that, right? So I ended up um, actually hearing a speaker, and the she just she just spoke a language that I felt like I had never heard before, and it changed. She changed my life. An AA speaker, of course, and 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 she just changed my life. And she she's in California, and I called her and I said, "You don't know me, but I have." got to have you in my life. Can you imagine if some crazy person called and told you that, you know? And, um, but she, she accepted me in her life. Right. And, uh, I ended up, uh, she became my sponsor right away. I had a great sponsor, but I heard, I believe that we all have a dog whistle, right? We all have our own little dog whistle and some people can hear my dog whistle and some people can't and that's fine. Right. And that's why there's so many of us and how we, we need each other. Everybody, there's somebody for everybody. And, but I'll tell you what, I heard her dog whistle. Like I had never heard it before. Like I, and I rewinded and listened and rewinded and listened to that tape. And I was, um, it was, it was like, nourishment for my soul is what it felt like. There was no question in my mind that she had a message uh, with depth and weight. She had a solution that I did not have and I wanted it desperately. And, um, and I began to, to, to get on a path of emotional sobriety, of emotional recovery. Physical abstinence just is not enough for me. It is not enough. And I had to learn about, about my mind because it tells us, right? I, I think it might be on 23. It says the problem centers in my mind, right? So you take away beverage alcohol, I'm still crazy as a loon. And um, even though all these other things that I'm doing are great, but they don't treat alcoholism. For me, you know, everything, just so y'all know, this is all my experience. So you can, you know, disregard disregard any of it at any point. But this is just my experience. It didn't treat my mind. So what, so what does that mean, you know, for me? Is that I have an unsatisfiable mind. I can find a problem with anything, with anything. You know, I have a self-talking mind. I have a mind that talks to me in my own voice and I think it's me, right? Because it sounds like me. I'll give you an example of that. I decide I'm going to eat healthy. So I had three days of just eating 
fruits and vegetables and really healthy food. And then one night I'm, I, I say, oh, I'm going to eat five cookies. I eat five cookies. And the next morning, my mind says, why did you eat those cookies, you fat self? Why'd you do it? You know, well, that's the same mind. My, my mind's cussing at me, but the mind that told me to eat, it, right? So, but it sounded like a good idea. Anyway, so I've got this, this self-talking mind. I'm unsatisfiable. And this is the thing. My mind will say, if I only had this, if I only had that, if I only have the car, if I only have the job, if I only have th this man or this woman or this whatever, um, and then guess what? I'll get it. And when I get that, the thing, the very thing that my mind tells me that I have to have to make me happy, and then the mark moves. And now I need something else. And now I need the next job or the next this or the next that. I'm never satisfied. And check your track record. So my sponsor tells me, don't take me, don't take what I have to say. Check, check your own track record. Is that is that your experience? And that's my that's my experience. You know, it's like there's there's always something. And then the 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 thing about the pause, the power of the pause that I that I was asked to talk a little bit about. So what I had to understand, I spent like two years of really, really dissecting my, my, my thoughts and watching my thinking and how, how interesting to find out that I am not my thoughts, right? That I'm not like, they just happened. <laughs> they just happen. And that doesn't mean, you know, and then if you really look at it, it's like, who's, who's thinking, who, who's the, <laughs> you know, I mean, it can really get deep. <laughs> and, um, to really learn about my myself and the disease and how does it manifest so so what i realize is that my the my mind that can find uns you know be unsatisfied find problems with anything the way it it manifests itself which it says that in step four right it says that we take a look at these things from an entirely different angle and it says how do these things manifest it manifests for me and some way i'm being critical um, or i'm comparing I'm controlling, I'm criticizing. If it starts with a C, basically it's bad. <laughs> That's all I know, right? And how does that look? Okay, someone's in, in Starbucks and there's five people in front of me and they are taking forever and ever. And someone will ask 95 questions about everything. And then I begin to get what? Restless, irritable, and discontent. You know, it's, it's nonstop. Someone can pull out in front of me or about side swipe me in the car and then I get irritated and I get road rage. You know, there's little bitty things and they sound silly. But the thing is, is that if you live with an unsatisfied mind, if I don't find a way to, to find peace, then I'm, I mean, I'm going to look for a solution. I'm going to look for a solution. So I had to find out that number one, that my life had to become important to me. And number two, peace had to become the most important thing in my life. And I have to protect, protect it at, at, no matter what, I have to protect it, you know, because I'm like, I've mentioned, I'm someone that will want to kill myself, you know, when things become so painful and I hope that you don't have what I have. I hope you don't, but, uh, but if you do, I have found that a, a power greater than myself that I never had a relationship with is what has solved all my problems, has solved all my problems. And I had to be taught, I had to be taught about surrender. And you know how people talk about the pink cloud and you know, we can stay on that pink cloud as long as we want, but that only comes through surrender. 
And that has, and that comes through me recognizing that I, that, that I'm an absolute complete failure at running my own life. I cannot continue to manage and control my life and think that things are going to turn out good. They turn out horribly, you know? And so when I raise that, that flag, when I can raise that white flag and surrender and give up and, and, and that's, that's where the pink cloud comes from right there. When I can, when I can say, I need help. I need help and I can turn to that power. So what I do today, the principle and application in my life today is to try to use that, that surrender uh, tool that, that, I, that I get through the, through the tool of awareness um, every single day through every affair in step 12, right? Through practice these in all our affairs. So this is what this means. It, it, it's all day long. I'm constantly having to remind myself because for me, I'm either with, with God or I'm without God all day long. And guess what? Most of the time I'm without God. Most of the time I'm running the show. I'm still, and I'm constantly having to remind myself, step 10, constantly it says in, in step 10, I'm no longer running the show. I'm like, God, I left you again. I'm trying to manage and control again. Not just my life. I'll do your life too if you let me, right? So I'm having to always take a look at myself all the time because I want to manage and control. As a matter of fact, for me, I don't want to do anything but turn to God. I want to try everything. The last place I want to look for a solution is God, and that's the only the only place that it, that it works. But that's just the way that my brain works. That's how how untreated alcoholism work, works in my life. And um, I want to share just a, um, a one one or two quick stories here. Um, you know, I said I was adopted, and my daughter last year um, or a year and a half ago, she did the 23andMe and Ancestry.com and she wanted to know, she's got an interesting look and people are always asking her, are you this, are you that? And I'm like, no, she's just white, <laughs> American, <laughs> you know? But people are like, are you Spanish? Are you, some people even think she's Asian. She's like, I'm like, no, she's not, you know? Cause I know her dad, right? <laughs> so um, anyway, so we do the ancestry.com and, um, and I find my mother. And it was, uh, it was a big story that I don't have time for, but I, I find my mother who, um, my biggest problem, every inventory I've ever done in my life comes back to, to me being abandoned, me not being good enough. They're all of them come back to, I'm just not good enough, right? So this is the biggest deal for me. And I was in Louisiana still at the time. And um, so we were talk, talked on the phone several times and text several times. And um, I moved back to North Carolina and um, I was able to, I mean, I got a brother and a sister and aunts and uncles and, and all this family that they lived only 45 miles from me my whole life. And I never knew. And um, I just, it was the most intense experience of my, my whole life that I could ever live. It was just um, every emotion I had going at one time. And I would even have moments where I just felt like I was going to have a break from reality. Like, is this even real? Is this even happening? I don't even, uh, it was just intense. And I was on my way to, um, to visit her for the, for the very first time, I was an emotional wreck. And about 15 minutes before I got there, she died. 
And, um, oh man. I really thought she was going to tell me who my dad was because I still don't know who my dad is. But what I did find out is that he doesn't even know I'm alive. And um, that was like such a, my you know, my whole life, at least my birthday and Christmas and maybe some other holidays. I wonder, does he, does he think of me? Does he, you know, and he doesn't even know of my existence. You know, and my for my mom too, of course. I looked at people in the grocery stores my whole life. I wonder if that's my mom. Wonder if that's my dad. You know that kind of thing. And um, I felt like I was going to get some some closure because she's remarried, and he didn't want anything to do with me. And I don't blame him. And praise God, I didn't have any. I didn't feel rejected by that or have any bad feelings at all about that because. Um, which is a miracle because under any other circumstances, I'm sure I would have felt rejected by that, but I, he didn't ask for me just to show up in their life. Right. So anyway, um, I just, um, I went, so I, I didn't know what to do. I pulled over on the side of the road. I had to call my sponsor. I'm like, I don't even know what to do. I mean, do I turn around? Do I go home? Do I keep going? You know? And so I kept going. And, oh, I was just, a, I was an emotional wreck. And, um, and I was, I was uncomfortable because there's going to be people, I don't know any of these people, they're my family, you know, and I just walk in there and she's, they have her covered with a sheet, just her head showing. And I mean, no one knew she was going to die, right? So this was so unexpected. And I just, I saw a chair, um, that had a pillow in it and I just threw that pillow on the floor and it hit my knees and I just I just cried <laughs> and and I could I had my hand like I was praying and I had my hands like I could feel this part of my hand I could feel her leg and I just I'm like God I can't even come up with a prayer I can't even think I just felt like I was going crazy and I, mean, I only had 15 minutes to process this you know and I said I just know that this, this is real. This experience is real. It's happening. You're able to, at least I can see what she looked like. I mean, I promise you all the, the obsessions I've ever had to meet my mom for the first time she'd be dead was never one of them. And, um, and I had a moment where I was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is where calamity meets serenity. There's a promise about that, that I can walk through the most unbelievable experiences and I can be just fine. And I was able to get off my knees and go home and go on and thank God for the experience. At least I was able to see her. I was able to talk to her on the phone with 60 days. I got her for 60 days. And in that short little window, I was able to find out that I had because of her family and her and every woman in my whole, that whole side of the family died of cancer. I was able to go to the doctor that I don't even have time to talk about right now. But since then I've had a double mastectomy, which was really hard. I've had to have a hysterectomy. I've had three surgeries and, and she saved my life twice because she could have had an abortion. <laughs> right? But I, but I don't have any 
cancer right now. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm healthy. And um, and I'm a, I'm a BRCA patient, BRCA. Girls, if you don't know what that is, look it up. BRCA, it's a cancer gene. And then my daughter, now she's she's got a, a mutation, a cancer mutation. And she's 20, only 28 years old. But she has the opportunity now to save her life. And then my poor, I've got a granddaughter now. Bless her heart. She's probably going to have it too. I had, you know, is anyway. But we walk through, you know, we walk through these things through fair weather or foul. It says in the 12 and 12 in step 10. Life is in session. Life is happening. It's not always going to be great, right? But I can learn that with a power in my life that I can get through anything, you know, no matter what it is, I can, I can get through it. Never did I think about drinking. Never did I think about killing myself. Never, you know, and how does that happen? Um, you know, today, the, the last thing I'll, oh gosh, I've got to, I got to quit. Um, AA is just, um, it's not a little part of my life. It doesn't interfere with my life. It is my life. And without it, I wouldn't have one. Um, I'm so grateful that I'm learning how to, 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 to live a life that um, protects my, my peace of mind, my, um, gosh, I don't even have time to tell you. Maybe I'm going to tell you a three, three minutes and that's it. Then I'll quit. I promise. Okay. I got to tell you the one some of the one of the most important most impactful things i believe that god has used me for is um you know i do corrections work right so when i'm in louisiana i i went and I, the biggest prison in america is angola it's the it's almost six thousand men there and in north america not even america north america and one of the bloodiest prisons in the world and I, you know, so I moved there and I find out that there's no, there's no meetings. There's no AA. I'm like, are you kidding me? How is there no AA here? So it took me like six months to um, write the warden's column, blah, blah, blah. Um, so anyway, I finally get a small little bitty um, portion. I get the trustees, which are the people with the very, very, very best behavior. And I, I start there and and then I finally get to another population and another population because it's huge. There's 20, it's 27,000 square acres. It's huge. It's miles and miles. They have their own zip code. And, and these are in Louisiana. Louisiana's jacked up. Life means life. I mean, in most other places in the U.S., it means 20 years and you have a chance for parole, <laughs> but not in Louisiana. Um, so this is a place. The baby of the group had been locked up 22 years, the baby, all the way to 45. And it was just an unbelievable experience. And I told the warden um, over and over, I said, you know, it's got to be hard to understand why I'm interested in the, the death row population. I said, but we care about them just as much as anybody else. And I really, really want to get on death row one day. And it took me probably, I don't even know how, a year or two. But he finally let me go to death row. And he, um, 
you know, we went, I could go from cell to cell, cell to cell to cell. And I took two of the guys with me from um, the trustees with me. And I felt like, I felt like maybe I was um, part of the mafia or something because they'd say she's with us, <laughs> you know, and it just, but it broke that ice, right? It broke the ice, which would have taken me a woman in a men's prison. It could have taken me two or three years because they all want to know what is she doing here what does she want what's she trying to take what is she they don't know they don't know it's like they think I'm trying to get something and um and it broke the ice immediately and then about a year later I was able to get 10 at a time only 10 um out into a room and um they, they were shackled, but they didn't have any handcuffs because we we're like, how can you read and write and stuff? And they let, they took the, the handcuffs off and um, they named that life row instead of death row. They changed it to life row and they're a registered group. They're the only, the only group I know of in the whole world uh, that, that on death row. So they're a registered group with AA. And um, and they carry such a message to me, such a message. Um, it's unbelievable. And I've I've gone by myself, which looking looking back, I can say, okay, that was stupid. <laughs> you know, I've been there with all. They're all clearly they're all murderers, right? And oh my gosh, there's just there's no way to explain. Um, that God, you know, that God chose me to carry this A message, this message. And these also, these people in, in Angola, and I'm, I'm getting ready to stop now, is um, they've never even been to AA ever. So we hear all the time, you might be the only, the copy, the only copy of the big book somebody ever sees, but I never thought that would really happen. But here it is, it's hundreds of people where I was the copy of the big book right? The only copy they ever could see or they never knew AA before. And, um, and the one, the least guy, the least, um, if we were putting money on something, this guy, we would never have put money on this guy. And like, he's definitely not going to get it. Right. And it took like five years. And the, for the last month, he's chaired the meeting every week. And, um, you never know, you know, you can't count anybody out. You just can't because we have a powerful God that can do anything, anything. And um, I'm really sorry that I have cried the second half of this meeting. <laughs> I, I hate it when speakers do that. I do. I can't stand it. I'm like, quit crying. But anyway, um, I just hope that, uh, you know, I expressed how grateful that I am for this program, for this way of life. It's given me a life and there's nothing that I would, I would change or do different. I mean, this has been my journey and I have so much more to go for. Like there's, there's no clocks in the realm of the spirit. August 14th, 2013 is my sobriety date now. So trying to make 10 years again. But there's no clocks in the realm of the spirit. It doesn't matter. What matters is what I'm doing right here, right now, this minute. This this minute with you is the most important moment of my life because this is where God is. God's not in tomorrow and God's not in yesterday. He's right here, right now. 
And when I can awaken my spirit, which is the whole goal, right? This 12 step to, to have a spiritual awakening. When I can awaken my spirit and I can be present, I can be here with you. That's when, that's the only time that I have the opportunity to be with God, to find God is now. I missed that for years. I missed that, you know, and uh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for asking me to share and, uh, and God bless you. Love you guys.